Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. So I'm a father of what? I got to find a babysitter. I found Care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your child care necessities, check out Care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your child care needs. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, a CBS Sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza, back a day later than expected, but back all the same with Chris Anderson for the return of the Q&A episode here. Subscribers ask questions. Chris and I try to answer them, get to what we can in the allotted amount of time, and Chris comes in and gets the rest of the questions in the written format. Still popular words typed on the screen instead of spoken into a microphone. Chris, no, um, no auction news. No, no auction news. No auction news. Um, no recruiting news. No NCAA news. Q and A has been gone for a long time. This feels like it fits right into our cycle. Yep. It was time for it to come back. I think you, you see, but posts on the board, people ask questions on there. Might as well put them, all together in one spot and try to knock out a couple of them with us discussing them here. I think uh, it's a good avenue. I, I, I've always liked this, us discussing this, because I always want to, you always want to get the pulse of the people, if you will. And uh, we have varying degrees of questions here, but certainly a few that, that are worth talking about. All of them are worth talking about. I love all of you equally, right, Mike? Yeah, pulse is a good word, too, because when your programs are flatlining, the questions can be really difficult, if not similar. And I think people reach a threshold on how many times can you ask the same question or make the same point. But football is in a period now where you can actually sit down and, and look at the pieces and the work so far and really have discussions about it. Some stuff, for example, who's going to start a quarterback? For me, that's going to have to wait. And then basketball has at least brought us into a, a pretty interesting direction right now where there's a lot of questions that we really can't answer. We can certainly speculate because so many variables are involved that are and are not in the team's control that it's a lot better than why do they stink? Why are they 0-5? Why can't they win on the road? Uh, I, personally, I, I enjoy this a little bit more. Yep. You ready to get started? Let's go. All right. Let's start off with, with a hot one, a big one. From Salty Dog, 8159. Your thoughts about May 1st 
the date that both the university and Bob Huggins decide whether to extend his contract another year past next season. Obviously, the results from the rest of the season will be important in that decision. My question is, would the university actually tell Bob that it's time for him to hang up his whistle if things went south down the stretch? After all, he's a legend both here and nationally. Mike, what, in general, what is the, what are your thoughts on this situation and, and how it is going to eventually resolve itself? I don't think that they're going to have an appointment where Bob shows up to Rem Baker's office at 9 a.m. on May 1st and they talk about this. I would be very surprised if this isn't done before. Like, the season ends whenever. Um, Big 12 tournament, NIT, NCAA, national championship. Whenever they're done playing, um, you give your head coach a couple days, and then you just check on them. Hey, how do you feel? What do you need? You do not lead with, are you coming back or not? And I, I just, I also don't think that that's what anybody wants right now. I don't think Huggins is on his way out. I don't think that barring like an O for finish that you could say you got to go. I just, I don't know like how you, I don't know what could possibly happen at the end of this season that would make you say we can't continue. So for people who are looking for like some edict, like smoke from the chimney, like the Vatican, don't think you'll see that. I would imagine that sometime after the season, they'll, they'll have a discussion. Hey, what do you think? How do you feel? You know, let's get back to me on this. Don't take, don't rush. Don't make a decision. You're going to come back on. Um, I'd also imagine that Huggins is probably pretty brief in his amount of time in between the end of the season and getting into the next season, which would be recruiting and player development, exit interviews. It's a lot like football, but I think you're at a point now where he wants to think about his future. I don't think he thinks about it very much in the season. Um, and I think the things that he doesn't think about during the season are the things you really have to give him time, which are just to to rip from the headlines, the stuff that Jim Beheim's talking about. And that's a guy that's kind of a contemporary of Bob Huggins. And we are crazy if we think that this does not affect people who who came up in the sport in that era. Like the way that things are right now, um, I think you're maybe numb to and you're mad about during the season. But when you're on a beach or when you're in the cabin in the woods and when you are free from the day-to-day distractions, grievances, nuisances. That's when you can think about, do I want to do this again? Do I want to do this for two more years, three more years, whatever. Um, so to think that like they're going to have some line in the sand on May 1st, I think is probably a little bit romanticized. But I do think that there's a sooner than later aspect to this, not just for Baker and, and some replacement process that I just do not believe is going to happen, but for Huggins and his welfare and his decision too as to you know how long does he want to do this? Does he really want to do this? Um, for another year. I just don't anticipate a change. I don't anticipate anything happening the rest of the season that would make you turn this thing around and go another direction. Um, I don't think there's going to be something like, you know, a press release or a news conference saying I'm back for another year either. I'm with you entirely. I think he will go out on his own terms. It will not be some grand thing. And I do wonder like you just mentioned, how much NIL is going to be a factor? Does does this does the way that all of this has changed expedite things? Does he retire a year or two earlier than maybe he otherwise would have? Because, yeah, we've seen the coaches of, of his, quote, generation say, enough's enough. I'm done. This is not what I want to do anymore. Um, but, yeah, I think – right after the season give it a few days to think it out 
go to the beach, come back looking like, what was that one summer we came back looking like Chris Christofferson? The uh, COVID com- summer. <laughs> yeah, completely and totally tanned with a nice little goatee, um, looking good. Um, I don't know. Retirement's not treating Jim Aheim very well, so who knows? You don't. You also, you also don't want to see him go too early either. But um, little sidetrack here, Mike. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on uh, Jim Beheim calling out these teams, including Pitt, and then a Rutgers assistant coach calling out Jim Beheim, saying that he was buying players before NIL ever became a thing. Yeah, that was the glass house kind of thing that I wondered if anybody would. <laughs> would would throw there because that, that was a whisper about how do they get guys to Syracuse for a long long time um you're going to Syracuse not great winters um I, I have never not. Knew, there's a reason yeah I never knew or saw or anything like that I wasn't that close enough to it but I know just being around as I was in the big east like people are always like yeah whispers whatever so I was I was worrying about that um listen guys have gravitas and I think he's earned it he can say things like that too um, I think sometimes people are very are very comfortable talking around whom they're talking to, um, and sometimes things get out that maybe you shouldn't or wouldn't. Um, accusing Wake Forest of buying a team is kind of interesting. Uh, Pitt, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but he's right, man. Like again, like if you take away the Bayheim thing, like if you just put that in behind like generic Coach X who's been in the sport for so many years, all that stuff makes sense. But because of him, it's it's. You, you look at it differently because he's that old crank that people get mad about. It seems like him talking out of pocket, out of turn, and like, oh, the old man's lost touch. People do that a lot with him because that's just what he does. He's a bully pulpit guy. I think a lot of people tire of his antics behind the microphone or in that press setting. But again, if you just generalize it to coach who's had enough of it, a lot of those words make sense. But with him, people are going to dismiss it and fire back too. Uh, my take for you, Chris. I don't think you'll ever have a this is my last year from Bob Buggins. I think he will retire at the end of the season. I absolutely do not believe that on May 1st they're going to put a press release out saying Bob Huggins is coming back and hypothetically 2025, 2026 is his last season because that guy does not want to have to do how many goodbye press conferences at how many Big 12 venues or at Cincinnati or or anything like that. I just think that he'd, he'd be really burdened and tired of it, and he just doesn't want to have a, a goodbye tour. That's that's just me here. I've never heard that from him or his people or whatever, but just being around him and following him for as long as I have, I'd be shocked if he didn't just say at the end of a year, listen, I don't want to do this again. Can we just retire now? I just can't see him going through a whole year of the pomp and circumstance. 100% agree. I think his last game, you won't know it's his last game. Like, which goes to what you're saying. Like the season will end. And then, yeah, a couple weeks later, we're like, well, that was it. That game you saw me in, that was the last time you'll see me. And and he'll ride off into the sunset and enjoy his retirement. Probably more than Jim Mahon. I think that's a, a fair <laughs> assumption. Agreed. So not a hot take. My bad. <laughs> um, another basketball question. I'm going to summarize it because uh, kudos to uh, Mountaineer Musket Man who channeled his inner mic and gave a four paragraph question um i'll read the last couple regarding basketball scheduling if i recall correctly my understanding is ronnie everhart does much of the smaller school scheduling is that right who takes over if that were to leave bob someone else on staff eilert it's obviously a science and ronnie usually does a good job gaming the net system so to speak is Bob's current influence limited to the games against his former guys? Like next year is UMass, right? Does he have a final say in the preseason tournaments? Mike, 
Can you shed some light on how this works? Um, I I was reading this before. I, I don't know that I ever said that Everhart does the small stuff. Is that true? Like, I know that Josh Eiler did it forever, and Jerry Calhoun did it before that, and Billy Hahn did it before that. Like, their director of ops typically does scheduling, and Huggins can call in favors. And all those guys who know some people can do some things. But, like, would Everhart know some people that, hey, this team is going to be good, or, hey, we're going to be good, let's get a game? I, I could see that being a thing. But is he specifically the, hey, Ron, can you do me a favor and just juice our non-conference by getting us the – the schools that are going to be mid-major champions or contenders. I don't, is that true? I don't know. That is not something, not something I've ever heard, okay. but I, I agree with you. I think that he's just been around long enough that he probably could, you know, set up a game or two and a thing. But I, I, I think I'm with you. I think it was Eilert was uh, doing it before mm-hmm. and ops guys. So, yeah. So now what do you do? Um, Obviously, the Huggins tree, you can shake and get opponents. Yeah, Frank Martin, UMass, that's one. Andy Kennedy, UAB, that's one. You can go through the years. I think that there's times where he just wants to do that. And he said this before, like, it's not weird for playing your friends because at least you're happy for them if you lose, right? And you don't mind playing them because if you beat them, hey, you know, you helped him. You got him a gate. You got him a, a good resume game. Things like that are important to him, too. So I think he'll do that every so often. He might be a couple times a year. So there's a couple of them there, too. Also, Huggins is is wire when it comes to the events. And I've told this story before, but like I can remember sitting next to him courtside in Boston before they went out and practiced for the NCAA tournament one year. Sweet 16, I think. And this guy who I don't know it was just came up and said, hey, we're doing a tournament next year or two years, whatever. We'd really like you guys to be in it. And they played in the tournament, right? Like it was a new event and they just did it because he's he's done that before and he can do that. Like everybody knows Huggins. And even more recently and more famously, when he saw that Gonzaga had a game canceled in the COVID season and just called the ESPN and said, can you get us on there? He can make it very easy for big games there too. So the question then is how do they fill those small ones where basically they got to get home games? That's going to change too because like DeMar Johnson is going to know different people. I think that there's questions as to how long Everhart will be on the staff next season beyond. We'll see, but that means new eyeballs and new connections in there. If it's somebody who comes from a mid-major conference or somebody who is the head coach um, in the past has different connections and yeah, you're tapping into different things, but just look at how long Huggins has been here, what they've done. They played Mac schools because he was from the Mac and he wants to help them. He knows some of those coaches. Um, They played schools he has connections to or like Cleveland state or Youngstown state that are from Ohio. I think Ohio is going to be a, a friendly place for them because of their recruiting. But whoever a new assistant might be in conjunction with who a new assistant is, I do wonder if, for example, they'll play more games in D.C. because of Demar Johnson. And I wonder if there is a new assistant and he's from Pittsburgh. Would they play more of like the Robert Morris Duquesnes? Would they play, um, you know, they got a guy from the Carolinas. Would they play some of the schools down in there? If they got a guy from a region who has connection they want to get into recruiting, can they plumb that in their schedule too? So not a specific answer because I don't have it, but like certainly if you remove somebody and you insert somebody, you're removing one coach's strengths or qualifications and replacing with another. And then things are going to look differently beyond that. So you've led me down to another question that was related to this. Um, I think there were two of them, but I'm I'm looking at staring at one right now from Crowtown ear asking if you think that Ron Everhart will retire, and if so, who do you think could be in line to fill that position, or does someone Hugs currently have someone on staff? 
What do you think the route is if there is another opening this offseason? The on-staff question is obviously a reflection of Alex Ruoff, and I just don't know yet. Um, I don't know how Huggins feels about him. I don't know if if he's going to be ready in time to do that. Like, you don't have to have your masters to be an assistant coach. So don't think that, like, oh, he's not done as a GA. That doesn't matter. Um, so would it be Ruoff? I don't know. My my hunch would be no, just because he's so new to it. Even though Demar Johnson's kind of new, Demar Johnson was around college um, basketball at Cincinnati, doing kind of like a catch-all job where he could do recruiting and development and scouting and all that, and pretty good pro in a college career too. Even though college career is brief, but relatable experiences there. Alex, I'm not sure is the same, but he might be a candidate there too. Um, to be honest, man, like I I said this before too. I was looking at um. When, when they had the opening for Larry Harrison spot, I was looking at possibilities there. And like, I knew Jamar Johnson had been at Cincinnati and like was doing stuff, but I didn't think that he was going to be an assistant coach because he hadn't been one yet. And I was wrong there. So that makes me change the way I look at it now too. It's going to be somebody he knows as somebody who played for him. I don't know. Um, maybe it's somebody he's had in his staff before he's had people who've gone on and been assistants somewhere else. Um, I just, there's not a short list for me, Chris. Cause like it's, he hasn't had a ton of guys who have gone on and been head coaches that aren't head coaches right now or who aren't on his bench right now. And the connections for him, like, look at all the players from West Virginia. They're just getting into their coaching career. And the guys of Cincinnati, like, if they're not in it yet, by and large, they're they're not going to be getting into it now late on on Huggins' career in the Big 12. Hard yeah, an answer for me. Well, and and look at – you know, a lot of times when this happens, you look at, you know, past record and what, what they're doing. What has there been two assistant coaching changes in the last decade, dozen years, something mm-hmm. like that? When when did Everhart come in? Like 2012, 2011, somewhere around there? You would have replaced Calhoun, correct? Yeah. So Everhart comes in, and it, since then, uh, the only change is what? Eilert and then Johnson. And you kind of... Again, both with connections, which I think is standard across the industry, across all sports. You know, you're going to want to coach with somebody you're familiar with. But one was already in the building. And then the other, as you noted, was kind of off the radar as a guy who had never been an actual assistant coach, had been in, in the ops department, the connections department, um, and and came from a different school. So I don't know how you how you can really kind of pinpoint what Huggins is going to do with that next spot um, if it becomes available this offseason. In the fast-paced world of attacking, speed is everything. And that's where the Furon 7 Plus shines. Engineered for accuracy and precision at a rapid pace, it's your secret weapon on the pitch. Experience overall comfort and precise striking, even in the game's fastest moments. The nylon outsole, with its V-shaped stud configuration, is designed for firm ground, giving you the grip you need to outmaneuver your opponents. Step up your attacking game and learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. One name I heard. It's kind of funny. Steve Mazziello. Yeah. Sure. Keep Jose Perez. Get a guy who's been a head coach, has connections. I think he's with Rick Patino now, not as an assistant coach, but as like an administrative assistant. Got some some metropolitan New York areas. Rick Patino disciple. It's not a bad idea. But again, DC, you, you got DC back. You got New York City back. Is, is West Virginia that. going back to the Big East? Is that what's yes. happening? Do it, yes. But again, um, complete speculation there. It's a name I heard that I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, one more. There were a couple different questions about this, about the lineups and rotations, and you and I discussed it last week. Anything changed based off Saturday's game? Your thoughts? Or is it still the same? Yeah, I thought that was a game where it kind of showed that they could do a bunch of different things. Like, that wasn't Jimmy Bell's game, and they they could be athletic around the rim and be effective because Oklahoma was so small um, without their, their size. And even the size they had in could not be aggressive. So like Bell could have plotted around there and struggled his way to whatever he's going to do. But that was a game for Oconqua to be active and run around and would to be active and run around and do things that they could do because there was space and less resistance from their bigs because of their foul trouble. That was good for them. Um, I just, man, you're not going to be able to play that guard lineup without Mitchell and Matthews being effective. Like there are times that Oklahoma had like four and essentially five guards out there. And that's not going to work. Like they were playing big guards at like the five and that's not going to happen a lot. So they're going to need something from Matthews and Mitchell. So it looked to me that there was some flexibility. They could do some things. Um, they played some of the three guard stuff. That was fun. Like we saw Wilson and Stevenson together a few times. We hadn't even seen that before we thought. And if we had seen it, we weren't sure we'd seen it. Um, it popped out there. And some of the two point guard stuff, I felt like there was less than that. Um, it looked like a lot of Kedrian Johnson or Joe Tucson. Now, granted, can you play the two-point guards and Stevenson? Yeah. Can you play the two-point guards and Wilson? Yeah. And that's not a bad idea because those two-point guards are better defenders or make for a better defensive backcourt than one-point guard Stevenson-Wilson. That might just be matchup dependent, too. Like, I just – Oklahoma does not scare me on the perimeter. If you can get somebody who can who can check Sherfield – then the other guys aren't as threatening to me. But Oklahoma is such a weird personnel team, especially when their centers are out or not in foul trouble, that to me it just seemed like, okay, West Virginia has a counter for this. I don't think they can anticipate seeing that very often the rest of the way, though. Moving on to football. Let's let's start light. Um, this one comes from WVUSNIDS. I'm not sure if that's a word or initials. Um he says, the late starts of the Phil Knight Classic made me think of the 1980 Hawaii football game that started at midnight. If we ever had a midnight start to a football game, maybe a lightning delay, how would you cover it? Would the rapid reactions consist of a few sentences after the game? Would we see the not-so-rapid reactions at noon the next day? Or are we getting a hardcore detailed analysis at 4 a.m.? Oh, man. Uh Free from the tethers of the newspaper, I'm going all in. Like something yeah. fun, something different. Um, I can tell you like a couple things that were different for me that were fun. When they played at Auburn in football in 2009, 
eight or nine. They had rain delays, like, and I was like, this game is not going to make the deadline for the newspaper. So I hit the blog really hard that night. But also, like, I was out in, like, the, the concourse areas and the rain delay trying to see what was going on. Like, they were playing every song about rain or water or anything like that, like, um, for, for, like, an hour in the rain delay. No one left the stands. And I was like, do I go out there? And I talked to West Virginia fans. Did. And got good stuff out of that because it was just unique. Um, so you kind of go above and beyond in some situations. The other one was, was it Hogerson's first game that had lightning delay against um, Marshall. Marshall, right? Yeah. That was the first game they sold beer. <laughs> and they said, I forget what it was, but like no more beer at the seven minute mark of the third quarter something like that. I forget. And the game was paused at like 12 minutes left in the third quarter. I was like, this is the happiest hour ever because <laughs> <Right? laughs> these five minutes are going to take an hour to pass every time there's lightning. Right. So I was like checking with people at the concessions. How much beer you have? Are you still selling beer? Like we don't know what to do because they hadn't like they hadn't sold beer and they hadn't encountered lightning delay thing before. Like, what do we do? Because technically at seven minutes, we're frozen on 12 minutes and like people are just going to get as much beer as they can until they finally said, no, we can't do this anymore. We have to cut this off. So like that was something different too. So my point being that there, there's a story there always, if I was there, it'd be different than if I was on my couch. So, you know, if I'm covering from the home office as a, for a road game, as opposed to being there in Mountaineer Field, or if it's a game that let me travel to, then, man, I'd be out doing something for sure. And then, yeah, absolutely, we do the post-game podcast because people would listen to that, right? They'd want to know the color. They want to know what they missed that we saw and experienced, I think. Um, but then again, We've done this before. We've done the gradual analysis instead of the instant analysis too. There might be something to set. Perhaps it's opponent dependent. You know, if they're playing, they're playing Duquesne at midnight. I'm, I'm maybe not as uh, gung ho about that. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh man, if they, this were, you know, if it were a planned, and I also think there's a difference between a planned midnight game, like say that Hawaii game, um, and a lightning delay style game that was maybe supposed to start at eight, but then doesn't start till midnight. Cause yeah, that, that one that's, <clears throat> you know, unexpectedly delayed, unexpected start at midnight. I mean, if that's a road game and you're not traveling to it, like, I think we're going live on YouTube with drinks or something. Like, oh. like I think we're, we're giving some analysis and talking about things or having a chat with our members or something. Cause yeah. yeah, I mean, that's when you're building it up and that's when you're hanging out. Everybody's already there. Like we're all, we're all here. We're all waiting for the same thing. So we might as well hang out together. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that would absolutely be, I think there would absolutely be a 4 a.m. rapid reactions. Cause I'm sure those would be exquisite reactions. Um, very detailed, very nuanced. Um, I don't, Man, yeah, you're right. Like, what if it what if it was Duquesne and West Virginia's up twenty eight to nothing, and you're just waiting so they can make it official? I don't know about that, but if this is like the Auburn game, let's say it was later, and it's you know a tight game against an SEC opponent, and it's going till three in the morning, yeah, I, I think we'd be around and I think we'd be hanging out. Mike, you you were still at the paper for the Cactus Bowl, right? The Arizona State, the Skyler oh, yeah. Howard five hundred mm -hmm. yards. Mm -hmm game that was late right that was like I, I vaguely remember that being like that didn't start till 10 30 yeah eastern time and because of the high scoring nature back and forth affair um our nature of the game it was what 
like two in the morning to be, I mean, it was late, like late, late, certainly yeah. too late for the newspaper deadline. But I know that I think over on the site, I was putting stuff up like right away. Cause that was a big one. Yeah. And that was also because it's NCAA, it's a postseason game. And by NCAA rules, locker rooms have to be open. And David Sills is available for the first time to talk to the media. And I don't think people realize this because a lot of people like weren't going to the post game because they actually had deadlines to do or whatever. I mean, me, I, I didn't care. I was gone. Uh, missed that one. Didn't matter to me. And I had the blog and I was like, I'm going to do something here. And to me, like the important thing was, okay, here's who won, but like Sills. And if I remember, he played in that game and caught a touchdown, didn't he? Did he do something? That, he, yeah. No, one catch, 15 yards, one touchdown. Yeah. So like, that to me was like, okay, and it was pretty apparent he was going to be gone at the end of the season. So, like, I was like, well, let's go and see what happens here and, like, talk to him for the first time, and it turned out to be a cool story. But, like, again, the the parameters of your your late start really hurt you on deadlines. But I was at a newspaper, but we had a whole online thing that was pretty pretty robust back then, too. Not now, but we could do a lot of stuff and have a lot of fun there. And that was one for me, like, okay, and no one else is going to have this. And I think maybe some other people saw it and caught on to it, but like, I was thinking in my head, okay, I can actually go talk to this guy because the locker rooms are open. They're not going to bring him out to talk to us, but like we're allowed in there. So ta-da, made it work. I like the idea of like, just filling that time. Like if there is a delay, let's go wing it online. Let's do a rain delay, like a baseball broadcasters or something. How do we make it work? Uh, next question. Roco ear. Does a school such as WVU function better dominating a lesser conference and punching up in bowl games in the NCAA tournament or being mediocre and struggling to create excitement but in a Power 5 conference? Yeah, I feel like this person already answered this question when he asked it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, this is a very pointed question. I think uh, it's different for, for the two sports, though, don't you? Well, my first thought was, wait, did... West was the Big East bad when West Virginia was in it? Mm-hmm. Like was they it? were good. Yeah. Like I mean, I know they had some bad teams at the bottom. We've talked about this. How you know they had like 14, 16 teams, and some of those teams at the bottom were were bad, very bad. It's not like the Big Twelve, but it was very top heavy. Very always putting seven, eight teams, and I, I felt like in the in the NCAA tournament, so it was still good. Um, but yeah, I mean, and he points this out later in his question. Uh, there is, I think there is some apathy right now. I, I, well, I'm not ready to go so far. I think there are some people there who are apathetic to what is happening right now, mm-hmm. but some people are just angry um, yeah. because of what's happening. So I don't, I guess it's not apathy if you're angry, but um, I just, you, you got to be in a power conference now if you want to keep up. I think we had this discussion. We were talking about what if they split off the playoffs to, or the, you know, a new division of what do we say, 20, 20 teams or 24 teams? Would West Virginia be in? Would they want to be in? And it's almost a question of, you know, if you're the the best team or one of the top teams in the minor leagues, does anybody care as much as if you are one of the worst teams in the best league? Mm. I mean, you need the money, like if you're going to compete, and the money would be drastically different if West Virginia was not in the Power 5 Conference, like drastic drastically different yeah i wonder here too yeah that's that's accurate 100 i wonder too to my point i think i feel like basketball is obviously more inclusive when it comes to the big prize than football is and i listen football's been close less frequently than basketball has been close so i don't necessarily think that west virginia basketball 
is hindered by the um the competition within its conference. Like if they get in with six or seven wins to the tournament, that's pretty good. And like again, they could be a much higher seed with you know seven, eight, nine wins had just a couple of things gone differently. That's that's a whole other conversation. But football, you don't have that margin of error and and like the difference between one loss and your bowl assignment is pretty significant, especially if your goal is to have just one or no losses in the regular season. And they're just not wired to be that way. They're they're not. And it'll be a while before they are, whereas the margin of error in basketball is much bigger because there's one championship that has a lot more teams invited to it. However, I, I just can't get over this. That like The Big 12 is looking like it could be two conferences in one. I don't want to go like Big East, Big 12, football, basketball, but like Big 12 basketball is still going to be very good. And and we'll see how long like the 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 Drews and the Selfs and people like that are at these these schools and who Texas hires, for example. Um, but that's still going to be a, an extremely good conference, very top heavy, with a big top. But also like these new schools aren't going to be they'll be in for a shock. Don't get me wrong, but like they're going to be good. And like if the if the bottom is BYU and UCF, that's it's a curious comp for the bottom of those Big Easts that were kind of bloated and, and had way too many teams, and the bottom was the bottom. You take Texas and Oklahoma out of football, Chris. I'm not saying it's like late aughts Big East football, but you're taking out two big roadblocks there when it comes to resources and personnel and spending, and you're making that conference a lot easier to navigate, which means that this might actually be the perfect spot for West Virginia after all these years too. Yeah, that's I was going to get at. I mean, I think it's probably, you can say this for basically everybody, but if there's a way that you can be in the worst of the best conferences. That makes sense. You know, the, the worst conference of the power five in football, for instance, that's great. <laughs> like you have a chance because if you win your conference, you are in. So if you have an opportunity to be in the worst conference of the five conferences, maybe not even the worst, like fourth. Out of the I was going to say, how are you getting West Virginia to the pac 12? Yeah. So, but if you can be in a weaker conference, but still in at the table, if you still have a seat at the table, but in a weaker conference, that's the best scenario for everybody. And so West Virginia with the quote new big 12, they're going to end up in one of the better scenarios possible for a program like WVU. Market it. Put on a t-shirt, the best of both worlds, the worst and the best. Fourth and first, something like that. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, scrolling through a lot of other questions. I think I'll answer in written form. Um, do you wanna do you wanna end it with a one word answer? Actually, three different people ask the same question, more or less. So I'll give you three words to answer these three questions. Ooh. Uh, from Yidio 10, KP55, and Christian Shuck96, all basically ask, what is what are the wins needed for Neil Brown to keep his job, or how many losses would it take to get fired midseason? You got three words. Well, what's the question then? <laughs> what 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 would it take for him to get fired? Or how many or how many wins does it take to keep his job, whichever way you want to look at it? You're the optimist. Seven. Okay. Okay. Uh, I I guess I'll get mine. Uh, eight. I think I said nine before. No matter what, uh, and and even though I think the schedule is easier than it was, eight. 
I know people people are really taking that Gordon Gee line for a ride, and I just I just don't put my eggs in that basket. Like I just don't think that they're going to be happy with five and seven again. Like one, there's so much heat over that comment that you know Baker kind of put on his his gloves and tried to handle it a little bit better. I think that makes you think that that was probably something that they do not want to get traction among fans who'd be like, man, if they tank again this year, they're gonna, he's going to be back. I think the pushback on that suggests that's probably not the case. And you're if if they don't get to a bowl, non-starter for me. Again, I just don't know how you could have a chance to restart next year and then hit the ground with no Texas and Oklahoma in 25 um, without momentum, like a year under your belt, and be really in the thick of that new Big 12. Number one, number two, like what? Like you have to be better than five and seven. Like you have to, you have to progress, and then. Going to a bowl at six and six and losing means you've got a losing record. And I just I just wonder if that's going to be enough. That'll be the question, I think, for me in my head. What's the difference between six and six and then the outcome of that bowl game? Because so many things can happen. I'm not sure how many pros they have or how many guys that would skip the game. They don't have Will Greers and David Longs and people like that. See, David Long played in the game, didn't he? So kudos to him. Um, I just don't know that that's applicable there, but we also don't know. But if they're not in a bowl game, I just don't think there's a conversation really. But that's just me. I'm with you. 100% agree. You took the fewer words, didn't you? I did. I, I I still couldn't get to three, but I did go fewer. Well, it's two different questions. Like <laughs> again, I I we broke this down in the schedule thing. I don't know how they make a midseason change unless they're zero and four, in which case that's fine. But like that that schedule doesn't really give them a chance because of the the lack of a true bye week. I think if you believe in that, that might not necessarily be true. But that back end of the schedule is is kind of navigable, and it, they've been they've been better at the end of seasons than they have at the start. And there's a way for them to pluck some wins at the end of the season that might be elusive at the start, too. So I could see them, again, been saying this forever. They really wanted to work for Neil Brown. And why wouldn't they see that through for the full season? I just don't know. Well, Mike, I think that covers everything that we were going to talk about on here from the Q&A. But again, for those who did not hear their question answered on here. Ask a better one. (laughs) Mike, remember, we love everybody the same. (laughs) <laughs> You're all wonderful. Um, I'll have these answered in written form probably before the basketball game tonight so that everybody can, uh, you know, dig into the answers and we can discuss it more during halftime of the game. Got to get Iowa State, right? Got to. I think, I mean, what, top, top 25 team, but home game, a little bit of momentum, tough schedule coming up. We're not going full must win, but this is one of those that you really, really want. Two and four on the road, Iowa State. Um, they're they're a Jekyll and Hyde team. They're very good at home, not great in the road. But again, every time you lose one at home, you're going to have to get one on the road. I think at this point, so those road games are tough. Home games are easier. Yeah, you help yourself a lot if you won this one. Until then, my name is Mike Casaza, and I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you next time. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. It's all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.